1 Corinthians is at least the third letter in a back and forth between Paul and this church that he planted. Uh, He begins to pick up some issues from this letter that they've sent him. We spent three weeks looking at marriage and the different things that these guys are bringing up around marriage. And the next three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, all deal with this issue that for us is completely foreign. It's about food that's been sacrificed to idols. That's not an issue for any of us. That type of, we we don't deal with that here. And so it can seem irrelevant. There's actually some pretty uh, important uh, principles in chapters 8, 9, and 10 that apply beyond just this food sacrifice to idols. But let me give you a little background. Uh, Corinth, pagan town, they had temples to just about every god. Uh, So if you were looking for... uh, if you worship that God, if you wanted favor from that God, you would, bring a, you would bring an offering, some type of an animal. The priest would sacrifice it, and that would kind of be your thing. Many of these temples also kind of had a party room, if you can imagine that. Maybe it's like a fellowship hall. So they've got one of those, and uh, you, could, you could have a feast after the sacrifice. So people have birthday parties there, those type of things. You would go, you would invite your friends to the temple at this particular time and day. You would bring the meat. The meat would, part of the meat would be sacrificed to this idol. It would be burned to the idol. Um, and most of the rest of that, you and your friends would then eat in a meal after um, this worship service. After this, uh, after this animal was sacrificed, you would have a, fest, a feast afterwards and you would eat that meat. And apparently what was happening was there were some people who had become Christians in Corinth, who were continuing to go to these temples and were continuing to participate in these meals. And they weren't just doing that. They were actually inviting other people to come as well. They were encouraging other people within the church to come to these um, feasts. And for these, some of these people, there was a subgroup. It was difficult for them. They felt like it was a sin for them to go when they were still being encouraged to do so. And so Paul is speaking into that in chapter 8. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now about food sacrifice to idols, so this, that's a signal. I'm going to talk about something else. We know that we all possess knowledge, that we all possess knowledge. That's what the Corinthians were saying. So he's quoting them. If there were quotes, it would be around, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. We'll stop there. Knowledge puffs up. It inflates like a balloon. It leads to pride for the person who knows. And you maybe know people like that. We call them know-it-alls. You know, and that's what Paul is saying. Knowledge, yes, we all possess knowledge. And this is what knowledge tends to do. It tends to puff up the people who have it. Love, on the other hand, builds up. That's the idea of building a house. It, it's edifying. It strengthens somebody spiritually or it strengthens them morally. There's two different things, love and knowledge. And what Paul's saying here is, from God's perspective, love is more important the knowledge. We don't make decisions just based on what we know. We make decisions based on love and what edifies other people. Verse 4, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there is and that there is no God but one. That's another quote of theirs. So they say we all possess knowledge and now he's saying and this is the knowledge that we all possess. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Now, this is Paul speaking for himself again. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So what the Corinthians are saying is, we, listen, these idols are nothing. They're wood, they're gold, they're bronze, they're silver. There's nothing behind them. We all know there's only one God. 
And what Paul is saying is you're right. There is only one God. However, for some of these guys who are involved, they don't necessarily, that, that truth hasn't penetrated their hearts yet. They believe it maybe mentally, but it hasn't penetrated to their heart quite yet. But not everyone knows this. Not everyone knows that these idols don't represent gods. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. It's smeared with mud. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So what Paul again is saying is you're right. What The content that you're saying is true. There is no God but one. Jesus, he's it. However, for some of the guys in the church, because of their past history with these feasts and these settings, these temple settings, because of that, they can't participate anymore because they're bringing their past into this present moment. And so for them, even though you all know mentally there is no, there's no such thing as an idol, for these guys, they think they're worshiping a false god. It's, it's too hard for them. They can't separate their past from what's going on presently. And then Paul says, and, and you're right, food doesn't matter. He's probably talking about kosher. It's no better if we don't eat. We're no worse off if we don't eat kosher food. And we're no better off if we do. You're right. Food doesn't mean anything, but we've got this thing that's underlying that that's more important than food, which is these guys are not able to do this in faith. So this is the key verse for us. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. It's not you're not putting a rock in someone's path that they're going to trip over. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Whatever you've done to one of the least of these, we've done to him. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So that's the key part for us so what's going on again there's people there are certain christians who are participating in these feasts and they're eating this meat in this setting and they're encouraging others to do so and paul is saying you're killing them like you're destroying them and that word means what you think you are taking them from being followers of jesus and you're putting them on this road to idol worship which will ultimately lead to their eternal destruction and you need to be careful about what you're doing. Don't allow this fact that you feel free, this knowledge that you have, which has led to freedom for you because you recognize there's nothing behind these idols. Don't allow that freedom as you exercise your rights to cause you to um, make others stumble, which ultimately will lead to their destruction. So for us, what is that? We don't live there at all. We don't have temples and idols, and we're not having feet. We're not doing any of this stuff. So does any of it matter to us? And The answer, of course, is yes. We don't necessarily struggle with this issue, but Paul's reasoning for how he's telling them to live with one another absolutely impacts us. Last week we talked about life-giving relationships, the importance of being in relationships with other people. It doesn't take long in those type of relationships before you realize you don't agree with everybody else on everything. And for many of us, me not agreeing with you means you're wrong. I'm right and you're wrong about all of these behavioral issues. Why don't you live your life the way that I live my life? And so for some of us, when we bump up against other people who live their life a little bit different on some of these, we're going to call them um, these gray areas. In Romans 14, Paul calls them disputable matters 
or on things that you have different opinions about, it doesn't take long to bump up against folks who see those things differently. And for some of us, when we run into that, we have a couple of choices. We either try to convert them to our way of thinking, and if that doesn't work, we cut them off and we go find another group of folks to hang out with. And that's why there's 26,000 denominations in the world. It's because we've chosen to, to make dividing lines over things that are not necessarily worth dividing over. There's a, there's a firm center to Christianity. And then there's a lot of squish around the outside. It's the opposite of an M&M. So firm center, <laughs> soft outside. The center, there's a, there's a handful of things that to be a Christian you have to check. Yes, I believe in that. I, I would base my life on that. That is a hill that I literally, I will die for this. And the Apostles' Creed is one of the ways that holds that together. Will you show that up real quick, Greg? We're not going to read it. Many of you know that from your growing up times. Um, and it's just a handful of things that we all, yes, you've got to believe those things. If not, then we would say, no, you're, you're kind of outside the family. That's, what it, that's a, a minimum set of what it means to be a Christian. That's the firm center. But then again, there's so much squishy stuff around the edge. You know, that doesn't say anything about whether you can baptize babies and whether you should dunk them or sprinkle them. It doesn't say anything about whether women are allowed to teach. And it doesn't say anything about communion and whether Jesus is actually present in the bread. And it, you know, it doesn't say anything about whether you can have guitars or if you have to have an organ or whether you have to wear a robe or a tie or whether you can wear shorts. It, none of those things are in there. It doesn't say whether people are predestined to go to heaven or whether we make a choice by our free will to say yes to Jesus. None of that is in there. That, all of that stuff is kind of on this squishy outside. It's important on some level, but it's not this firm center. The thing that's, I don't know if it's ironic or sad, maybe both, is if you went across the board, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, high church, low church, independent, denominational, whatever, they would all say yes to this. They all say this. We all do. We all believe all of those things. And we chose, we have made decisions to separate ourselves from, from one another based on kind of this squishy exterior. So for us as a church, if we're going to pursue relationships with one another and with other Christians outside of this church and with other churches, if we're going to do that, if we want to take seriously that we're part of this downtown body of Christ, which as a Methodist and a Baptist and a Presbyterian and an Episcopalian church, and then there's us, you know, if we're going to take that seriously, that God has put us here for a reason, if you take seriously that God has called you to be a part of this family and you pursue relationships within this church, what do we do in those gray areas when we just disagree on some of those things? Not these things. These are issues for this truth with a capital T. But when we disagree on some of these behavioral issues, what are we supposed to do? How do we treat one another? Do you pull out of your small group and go to create the homeschool-only small group because you can't handle these public school parents who just don't understand what they're doing or do you create or whatever that looks like for us. What are the issues that tend to divide us that are in these gray areas and how do we proceed? And I think there's something there for us. So a few things for you to think about. One, and this one is probably the least likely to occur for us, but you don't want to ever push somebody to violate their conscience. That's what's going on in 1 Corinthians. These uh, Christians who are participating in these meals are encouraging folks who don't feel good about it 
to participate in the meals as well. Paul says they have a weak conscience. That actually means the opposite of what we would say now. For them, weak conscience. For us, we might say that's a strong conscience. They have a lot of scruples. They, they recognize there's a lot, they're, they're sensitive. There's things that they can't do. And so for them, they're saying, I can't participate in that. An easy example for us might be um, drinking. So for some, that's a gray area. The Bible says don't get drunk. So we'll put that over here. All right, that's, that's a clear command. But then there's all this gray. Well, can I ever have a drink when I'm over 21 or in this setting or that can be a gray area for people. Tonight, when you get home from Intersect, you may go to a Super Bowl party and watch the Super Bowl, and there may happen to be adult beverages at the Super Bowl party. And so then you have a choice. Is it okay for you to drink that or not? I made a mistake at 9, and I think people thought I was probably an alcoholic because I was doing all this in the first person. So I will say this up front. I don't drink, and it's not necessarily for any deep religious conviction. I just, I don't enjoy the taste. It makes me thirsty. So I don't get why I would drink something that makes me thirsty. That's why I don't drink coffee either. It's hot. I don't understand why you would drink something hot to then have to drink something cold to refresh your, I don't get that. So anyway, that's me. So I'm going to talk in the first person, but you don't need to worry about it checking me into AA or anything like that when we're done. So let's say me and Bo, we go to, we live across the street from each other and he invites me over where I invite him over and we have the Super Bowl thing and there's beer there and Bo has one. But let's say for me, and it's fine for him, let's say, but for me, let's say because of my pre-Christian past where alcohol was a huge struggle for me, I drank a lot, it was excessive, what I did when I drank, there's this whole lifestyle that was packaged around alcohol. And when I became a Christian, I cut that off and said, I can't live this way anymore and alcohol is the trigger for me so I can't, I can't do that anymore because for me, it's not just one beer. It's all of this stuff that comes with it that's part of my old life that I've left behind. So in that case, I would be, according to Paul, I would be the one who's weak because I would say, I can't, I can't. And so for Bo, if he's, what he doesn't need to do, according to Paul, is to try to get me to have a beer, to say, listen, you've been forgiven. Don't allow your past to determine you're present. You've been set free from all of that. You've been delivered from that. You don't have to live out of that any longer. You can be, you're, you've matured since then. All of those things he may say to me in a sincere effort to help me grow in Christ. He might say all of those things to me. And what Paul would say to him is, you're wrong. Don't do that to him. Don't push him. Don't push me to violate my conscience in these gray areas other places where we might do that. Again, I picked at school earlier for us where we live. That can be a huge gray area, public, private, homeschool, and how people make those decisions and what that looks like. And we don't want to push people to violate their conscience in that. Whatever that happens to be, whatever choice they choose to make, and we can all come up with theological reasons for doing everything. And, you know, we can say, well, public school, and we're salt and light, and yay, yay. And you can say you're subcontracting the moral and spiritual development of your kids to a humanist, secular government. and all. I mean, we can all go back and forth on which of those decisions is right. And we don't want to push anybody to violate their conscience. That's gray for us. We want to respect one another's choices and not, again, encourage somebody to do something they don't feel settled upon in their heart. So that's one thing. If you flip back to Romans 14, Paul talks about this again. Romans is actually written after 
1 Corinthians. So this is um, a little bit later. And he's a little more specific in this passage. Starting in verse 1. Except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. There's that idea of on differing opinions. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. I think this is actually a much bigger issue for us versus pushing someone to violate their conscience. What Paul says here is, and you don't judge on these gray matters either. If it's, if it's gray, if it's on the squishy exterior, you don't judge one another. And this, I think, is human nature. We make decisions based on what we feel like is right. Most of us don't do things on a regular basis that we don't feel good about. So I feel good about how I've chosen to structure my life. And then it's natural next step for me to judge you based on those standards that I've set for myself. Well, I don't drink, and so nobody else should. I'm more spiritual than you, or whatever that is. Or I'm free, and so I do have a beer. And your, your, your conscience is weak because you can't. Those type of issues for us, it's easy for uh, people to look down their nose at someone else, for the strong to look down their nose at the weak, and it's easy for the weak to judge the strong from a posture of self-righteousness and say you don't live a very holy or a very righteous life. You're worldly in a lot of ways. And we might never say that outwardly, but we kind of harbor those things in our heart, and that pulls us away from one another. It builds a wall in our relationships. And we want these life-giving relationships where we're transparent or vulnerable. And then I say, well, you know what? I'm not going to let Bo say anything to me because he had a beer on the Super Bowl night. So he doesn't have any access into my life anymore because he's just a fleshly Christian or whatever. And I cut myself off from him over this gray issue. Not good at all for us. And we don't want to do that. Other ones, um, some people might put smoking in that gray category. Gambling, some people might put in that. You know, whether it's, you know, I don't know how many of you have money on, in some form on the football game tonight or playing golf or playing cards or whatever. And we can talk about, well, what is that and how, what's too much and what's just, what, what's entertainment versus gam- entertain, or entertainment in itself. You know, we, we would say pornographic movies. Those are out for everybody. But then there's this whole area of movies. You know, some people say no rated R's or no rated R's unless they have artistic value, whatever that is. Or, you know, those, how do we decide unless it really makes me think? Or We can do all of those things. And those are gray areas. And they're different for us. That sounds so, again, squishy and relativistic. And where's the truth? And where are the absolutes? And... That's us wanting to control one another with rules and with laws. And what we need to do, and it's scary, is to trust the Holy Spirit to lead each of us in those areas. And that's, that's hard to do. It's hard for us to say, you know what? I trust the Holy Spirit who lives within you to lead you and guide you in those choices for what you do for your entertainment. Yes, there are lines that you can't cross. If you're watching pornographic movies, there... That's a sin. That's clear in the Bible that we avoid all sexual immorality, and that's sexual immorality. So we can, yes. And th- but again, there's this whole swath. You know, do you not watch Disney because of 
whatever. Everybody, who's, I don't know if anybody's boycotting Disney anymore. They were for a long time. That's kind of a regular thing. We boycott Disney, you know, and so are we supposed to be doing that? And all of these different choices. Cussing is one. Language. And there's multiple varieties of cussers. Some people are fully integrated with their cussing. It's a part of their vocabulary, which I can respect because at least you're, you're, all, you're all in. Some people are selective. They've decided these, this group of words is okay. This group is not, but this group is okay. Some people are situational. Only when they're surprised, only when they're hurt, that's when they cuss. And usually selective and situational cussers go together. Usually people are both of those things. They selectively, they use selective words in particular situations. Some people are spellers of cuss words, which I don't understand at all. If you're angry, I don't know how taking the time to spell. First letter cussers, which doesn't help those of us who hear it because we, can, we know what you're saying. You're not protecting our ears at all by just using the first letter. Substitute cussers, you fill in other words for cuss words that somehow seem a little more decent. All kinds of different things. Repeaters. Some of you, you love hearing a bad joke because that lets you cuss with freedom because it wasn't your word. You're just telling the joke. So what, whatever. We can all say those things are gray and what fits and what doesn't and what age is it appropriate to say what things. And you know, some of you don't say stupid in your house. And there are all kinds of language things for what's gray and what's not. It's silly, but it also can become a source of judgment. Well, you don't parent the way I parent, and so my kid does, is not playing with your kid because you know, they might hear the word stupid at your house or something like that. And so and those, those things begin to pull us apart from one another. And what Paul says, if, if it's gray, don't judge. We have one master, me and Bo, both have one, and it's Jesus and he's going to stand in front of him, and I'm going to stand in front of him. And that's the thing. If, if we've settled in our hearts, this is good, this is right. And Bo has settled in his heart, this is good and this is right. And that's, that should be enough. We should trust the Lord in one another's life. And again, that sounds so slippery slope, individualistic, relativistic. How are we going to have any standards? Isn't that tricky? But the deal is, God got rid of the old covenant and he instituted a new one. And it's not, a, it's not a covenant of rules and it's not a covenant of laws. It's a covenant of relationship. I'm going to give you my spirit and he's going to lead you on a daily basis. And that's what we have to trust with one another. It doesn't mean we don't speak life into one another. It doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. It's none of that. Just in these gray areas, we make a choice not to judge. Verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment, there we see, on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who's in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. So, pull out right there. So that's what Paul knows. That's his knowledge, and he's right. No food is unclean in itself. But, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it's unclean. That's your conscience kicking in. So we have this objective truth. No food is unclean, but it has to be personalized. You have to own it. If you, in your heart, can't say no food is unclean, if you, in your heart, can't say, you know what, this movie is okay for me to watch, if you, in your heart, can't say it's okay for me to have a margarita with my fajitas, if you, in your heart, can't say it's okay for me to go to put real money in this poker game, 
If you can't say those things in your heart, then for you, it's a sin. doesn't matter what I do. For you, it's a sin. And you've got to be willing to follow the leading of the Spirit in that, to honor your own conscience and to say, I'm, no, I can't do those things. I'm not going to judge you, but I can't do those things. If your brother is distressed, if he's uneasy because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. So what Paul has done is he's actually lowered the bar. In 1 Corinthians, he says, don't put a stumbling block. Don't put, uh, if, Christian, if the Christian life is a race and we're running, don't put something in front of me that's going to make me trip and fall. It's not about whether I'm personally offended by something. That's nowhere, that's not in here. Well, it offends me that we wear, you wear, Bo wears blue jeans when he leads worship. That's not a stumbling block. Like, that's not what Paul is talking about. That's not going to cause anybody to go to hell. It's not. What Paul is talking about here are more significant issues that actually lead people away from Jesus. Now, in, in Romans, he, he lowers the bar and says, if your brother is in distress, if what you do causes your brother to be distressed, you're no longer acting in love. Don't, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Don't allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. So kind of the, the thing here for us, and this is where we're going to end, the litmus test for our behavior in these gray areas is love. Is this loving? Does this build up? Does this edify others? Yes or no? It doesn't matter what you know. Knowledge is not an issue here. It's not whether I can prove that I can eat whatever I want. Paul says all food is clean. That's not the issue. But for some people, they haven't, that truth hasn't penetrated their heart for whatever reason, because of their past associations with idle food, because they're new in their faith, for whatever reason, that truth has not penetrated. And so if I'm going to eat with them, then I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat around them, because it's not worth it. It's not worth it, because that doesn't build them up. That just tears them down. It puts them in distress, because what they do with every bite that I take is they say, you're eating idol food. That, that food was sacrificed before a God. How can you participate in that? And that's what they're thinking the whole time we're eating. And that's not worth it. And so what Paul says is, I'll just lay down my right there. I'll lay down the freedom that I have in Christ to eat that food and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to serve and to love my brother or sister and be a vegetarian when I'm around them. That's the, that, that's the takeaway for us easy theoretically to say yes to this difficult in life it's un-american on every level we're all about personal rights individual responsibility our freedom our our personal space what's stay out of my business that whole american mindset this pushes in the other direction it says it doesn't matter what my rights are it doesn't matter what my freedoms are it doesn't i'm part of a body here and if what i'm doing is going to cause, is going to put you in distress, then I'm going to stop doing it. That's not fair. It absolutely is not fair. There's nothing fair about that. That means your predispositions to these issues affect me. That's why I go start another church. It is, because then I can pick people who are like me. So I don't have to change my behavior when I'm, I'm going to go find a drinking church then, if that's how it's going to be. I'm going to go find people that want to drink at the Super Bowl because I don't want to have to not if I'm around y'all. 
That's what we do. And within our relationships, we can't. It's the easiest thing in the world because most of us know just enough of the Bible to support what we're doing with a verse or two. And then we get to, come, we get to go back and forth with each other. Well, I've got three. Well, I've got four. Well, Jesus said one of mine. You don't have any Jesus verses. Yours are all black. Mine are red. And so we can do all that stuff with each other. None of it's good. This is for us. Again, this, is, this isn't a big inspirational, going to make you feel good. This is just nitty-gritty, practical. What does it look like for us to choose to live as family together? Because it's not going to take long if we truly allow one another into our lives. It's not going to take long for us to realize, you know what? There's some squishy things that we and you and me don't see eye to eye on. There's some of these gray matters where we just we don't line up. And we have to figure out how do we navigate through those waters in a way that continues to foster life-giving relationships. We don't push anyone ever to violate their conscience. We don't judge, which that to me is the biggest one. We don't judge one another. I trust the Holy Spirit within you. I trust that you're listening to God on those issues and that your conscience is clear around what you're doing. If it's not something that the Bible clearly says is sinful, then I'm trusting that you're being led by the Spirit in that. If that's difficult for me, then I'm going to talk to you about it and I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to try to get you to see things my way. I'm just going to ask what's going on. And that uh, all of it, the litmus test is love. Am I loving you by the things that I'm choosing to do? And if I'm causing you to be in distress, Am I willing to lay down my rights that, I, that are 100% true and good and mine? Am I willing to lay those down for your sake? And if the answer is no, then that's, that's on me. That's not on you. Let's pray. God, I do pray that we would, on some level, it, it makes a nice bumper sticker for us to say life-giving relationships are vital to who we are as a people. But what's tricky is life-giving relationships require other people. And we get along with ourselves better than we do anybody else. And so God, as we introduce other folks into our life, as we invite them in, people within this body, and God, as we look to other churches to see what does it look like to be part of this downtown body of Christ, as we begin to do that, I pray, God, that you would help us to be people of peace. As much as it depends on us, we will live at peace with others. God, that we would only do things that lead to peace and mutual edification, as you say in Romans. God, that we would be folks who build one another up and that we would not tear others down. And God, for those of us who do tend to get big-headed over everything that we know, I pray you'd pop that balloon that is our head. God, that we would not allow what we know to cause us to... uh, make others stumble. God, I pray as people move into small groups this week and next week and as they begin new relationships, that we would all do so from a posture of grace, not pushing anybody to violate their conscience, not judging others for these decisions in these gray areas that they've made. And for some of us, that is so hard to do. We're rule follow- I'm a rule follower, and I want everybody to follow the same rules that I do. And it's difficult for me to extend that level of freedom and grace to others to say, you follow the Holy Spirit as well. And God, I pray that above all, 
we would we would act in a way that's loving, always looking to what's best for other folks. Right, we're going to do this to close. Want to pray for two groups of people. Um, if you need physical healing, we want to pray for you. And if you are in a relationship of some form that needs to be reconciled, we want to pray for you as well. Often, um, you know, during the ministry.